Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, okay, uh, here we go in Philippians um, chapter 3. What I want to do is read the text, and then we'll um, do a little bit of um, talking, and then we'll um, interact with it here. Uh, but in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, uh, But whatever gain I had, Paul is writing here at the end of, towards the end of his life. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, I did this in the 830 service. I want to just pause here for just a moment. Some of you may have trash. Some of you may, if you have an older translation, it may have dung. So what he's saying is, for all of the kids in the room, or the kids at heart, I count them like poop. That's what they say. So we have now said poop at church. Okay. <clears throat> count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Here's, um, we're going to, like I said, interact with that here in just a second. But um, here's kind of our July, just so that everybody's on the same page. Um, It it felt like the right thing to do um, to just have a moment where we as a church family remind ourselves of who God's called us to be and what he's called us to do in light of what we're coming out of, in light of all the craziness that the past um, 18 or so months have been. And so um, we have um, shaped this series around um, some, some, some of these things that are true about us. This little uh, set of symbols um, represents uh, the five strands of our DNA. Uh, we said this last week. I want to say it again just one more time. Um, the, the good news is it, we as a church family, we don't have to be a different church family. The folks who are doing church down the street right now, they're doing church. God, God put them there for a reason. And so we can let them do them. Yes. And we get to do us because this is how God wants us to be. And we can celebrate how God's at work there. And we can celebrate how God um, is at work here. So the five strands of our DNA, first of all, transformed by the gospel, gospel transformation, the good news represented in baptism, represented in the songs we've sung, represented that, that Jesus has died for our sins and we have the most secure kind of life because he has done so, that he has risen again and he invites us to a kind of life that's marked by freedom and life um, and, and uh, all the things that are of his kingdom. We have that. We are transformed by the good news that Jesus has died and he has risen. Some people approach the gospel as if, um, oh, this is a one-time step that I take. I believe the gospel, and then I kind of move on from it spiritually. Our um, understanding of the scriptures is we don't move from it. We go deeper into it. And it's the pressure, the good pressure of the good news that, tr- that transforms us, changes us. Secondly, saturated with the scripture. We want to be people um, who uh, so soak up the Bible uh, that when we get squeezed, and I asked this last week, but did anybody get squeezed this week? Yep, four honest people in the room. And so when we get squeezed, what, hap- what comes out of us? Bible comes out. We are saturated with the scripture. Thirdly, church's family. 
Churches, family, um, that, that we approach things. So we, we have VBS this week. Um, we as a family are doing a VBS. Some of us are in and are going to be here doing things. Some of us are in and are going to be in prayer. Some of us are in and we've given money so that stuff can happen. So we're in, though. We're doing this as a family. That's what we're doing it as. And we, we live um, as a family. And, um, I, you know, I, last, I did say this jokingly last week. Let's just recognize on occasion, there's the crazy uncle or aunt. That's true. If you're not sure who they are, it may be you. You know what I mean? I just... But we're family. We're family. Fourthly, neighbor is a verb. Neighbor is a verb. It's not so matter who, it's not so much who we live next to as it is who we choose to be a neighbor to. That's what God's called us to. And then lastly, we're ready to launch. We intend to fill people up and um, kind of uh, engineer them, so to speak, ready them uh, to put out on the launch pad so that wherever God sends them into Monday, um, into uh, a soccer field, a baseball field, um, into wherever, wherever God sends them, into ministry somewhere. Um, that th- they are ready, they are ready to go. So that, that's, that's who God has kind of uh, wired us to be on the inside. And um, this statement has, will come up here. We looked at this last week, and this is framing out the, the series here. We're a family of missionaries who live to pursue God, love well, and serve the world. A family of missionaries, we're family, security, missionaries, purpose. This is what God has called us to be. Who live, this is a life to, to pursue God. And that's where we're going to stop today. We live to pursue God. I got three statements coming out of this um, text here and uh, just want to highlight um, some things that are true. First of all, that you and I, we are created to know God. We are created to know God. God puts you on the planet to do any number of things. It's true. But what is primarily true about you is that you and I were created to know God. You're created by God um, to know God. This is Paul in Colossians chapter 1. He says um, there's all these things that are true that God made, but all of them, all of them were created by God and for him. So deep down in your soul, like in the... the, um, the, the parts of your soul that are hard to access sometimes, that maybe you try to hide from others, deep down, you are created by God to know God. And God has that as a, uh, that, I think he just wants to set that out for us twice here in the text. Um, in, in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because, because of the surpassing worth of knowing, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then down in verse 10, um, where he says that, simply that I may know him. Now, the kind of knowledge that he's talking about here is not factual knowledge. July 4th, 1776, country was born, 2 plus 2 equals 4, blah, 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 blah. Like, He's not talking about that kind of knowledge. This is an interactive intimacy. That's what he's talking about here. It is knowing um, another person. That's the kind of knowledge that we're talking about. And here's the thing. You and I don't wake up. We did not c- climb out of bed this morning and say to ourselves, oh, you know what? I think today will be the day that I pursue God. Today. Today's the day. I'm just going to get up. That's not what happens to us. Naturally, actually, we're bent away from that. And you don't have to think very hard about the things that people do pursue around us. You don't have to think very hard about the ways that, that pursuit plays out in people's lives. There are people who are longing for security and longing for significance and longing for purpose and all that kind of stuff. I mean, suburbia is littered with these people and they will never find it at the level that God desires for them apart from a relationship 
with him. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to have a moment here. Um, I, I, I don't know. The, the reason why I'm saying that we just don't wake up, there has to be something almost cataclysmic in our lives that shakes us and, and reorients us. And I, I don't know of a better picture than the award-winning um, uh, movie from 1998, Godzilla. Did anybody with Matthew Broderick? It did not win an award one. But here's a minute, 19 seconds of the best illustration of this that I, I can think of. What is all this? Some kind of spill? Yeah, something like that. Look, I work for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but accidents and spills are not my field. We know! Do you know you've interrupted a three-year study of the Chernobyl earthworm? Yeah, you're the worm guy, right? The radioactive contamination in that area has mutated the earthworm's DNA. You know what that means? No, but I got a feeling I'm about to find out. It means that because of a man-made accident, the Chernobyl earthworms are now 17% larger than they were before. 17%, huh? Sounds pretty big. They're enormous. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm a biologist. I take radioactive samples and I study them. That's great. Here's your sample. Study it. What sample? You're standing in it. I don't see it. Where is it? I don't see it. Colonel! Colonel! That was a footprint. I was standing inside of a footprint. That's right. I love the end. That was a footprint. That's right. Like, there we go. Yeah, yeah, we know. We've been there. <clears throat> if you were to watch the rest of the movie, which honestly, it's not that great of a movie. I don't know that I would recommend it. Here's what you would have seen. Um, everybody in the movie is running from Godzilla. Everybody. Everybody. Except for one person. Little weenie Matthew Broderick is running toward him. Why? Because there came a moment when the footprint landed and it reoriented his life and he knew that there was something bigger that he had to pursue. And church family, here's what I'm saying to you. There is a moment in your story what I hope is a moment in your story that you can call to mind where God stepped into your world and left that impression and it reoriented your life to say, you know what? I got friends who are pursuing this and social media says I need to pursue this and there are other people who say I need to come after this and run after this. But there is a moment when because God's goodness has been running after me, that goodness has stepped into my world and left a kind of impression that says no matter what the other people do, I'm running toward him. And thankfully, thankfully, it is not a reptilian monster footprint. It is a cross where the love of God was displayed for you and for me. Where the Son of God paid the price that you and I could not pay, but somebody had to. And where he rose again so that you and I are invited to life. Not bondage, 
freedom, not death, but life, not um, um, uh, all the brokenness, but wholeness. Like these are the things that God has invited us to. And so before we press forward here, I just want to take a second. Can you call to mind the moment when God stepped into your world and your life changed? Your friends, your family, your financial advisor, your whatever was saying, these are the things worthy of pursuit. And you said, I, everybody else is running one way. I'm run, I know the point of my pursuit. Can you call that to mind? For some of you, you're like, oh, that's a long time ago. Okay. That's, maybe you think, hey, you know what? Here's a moment when I know that God stepped into my life and what was left, his, the footprint that was left, Change me. Can you call that to mind? Because if you call that to mind, that's fuel to move you forward. This has been true all throughout the Bible. I just want to um, kind of tie the story together a little bit here. It's actually what Paul is reflecting on. Um, um, from the garden, from the very beginning, when creation happened, um, Adam and Eve, uh, th- this was a moment of relational things. So um, Adam and Eve would walk with God in the garden, perfect place, and all the things that were happening there, they would, he would walk with them in the cool of the day, is what it says. So here you have Adam and Eve in relationship with God. And you know how the story goes. I mean, they fell and everything got broken, the whole place just fractured every which way. But um, God began instituting um, these, these, uh, uh, this religious system that we know is the Old Testament, revealed in the Old Testament. And what he was doing was inviting people. Some people think, oh, the Old Testament, man, it's packed with commandments and rules and do this. And here's a temple and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But when you take the thread and you draw it all the way through all of that text, God is saying, man, you should come worship. Here's a place for you to do so. It's going to remind you of who I am. Um, You you want to follow me. You want to walk with me. Here are some commandments because this is the best way to live. And as you live this out, what you're going to find is my blessing is upon you. And you will know me all throughout the Old Testament. He's just drawing people to relationship. And then in the New Testament, uh, Jesus specifically, um, we kind of uh, shift some language. But Jesus specifically starts talking about eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's it's not getting to go to heaven when we die. Not according to Jesus. Eternal life, John 17, verse 3, is a relationship. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The whole idea is for us to live in relationship with God, in a relationship that is ongoing, that lasts forever, and that is indestructible even by death. That is the relationship that we get to be a part of. And that doesn't happen on our own. It only happens when we put our trust in Jesus. I just want to point this out in the text. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You and I are brought into relationship, not on our own merits, not because of your resume, not because of your bank account, not because of anything else. You and I are brought into, he steps into our world, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. And he says, now, now, reorient your life, put your trust in me and follow me. You were created by God to know God. Secondly, and I want to, I'm just 
For some, when we think about knowing God, man, we think, oh, God, you know, I, I know some facts or I know some other stuff, but, like, I don't think I understand. And it's true. There is a, um, the, the more complex um, the, the being that you're in relationship with, the harder it is um, to really wrap our minds around what it means to know him. And so I want to try to just break this down a little bit to say God has revealed it in his word uh, that these things are true. To know God means four things, at least four things. Number one, to know God means to live in a faith-filled surrender. And that you and I put our, we consistently put our yes on the table. The check is blank. We're ready. We've signed it, men, and we're ready for God to fill in the amount. God, this is an, my act of surrender to you. Um, God, here is my marriage. Here is my um, ego. Here is my reputation. Here's my job. Here's my uh, situation. Here's my money. Here's my whatever. And we just say, God, all of it's yours. It's all yours, every bit of it. To live in relationship with God, to know God, means to live in faith-filled surrender. Is there a, is there a spot in your life that um, he's kind of put his finger on and says, hey, listen, we need, to, we need to have that conversation. We need to talk about that. Live in faith-filled surrender. Secondly, it means to live in honest reverence with him. Honest reverence. Um, I just I point you to the book of Psalms, and if if um, if you haven't read the Psalms lately or studied them, I just want to invite you um, to that because that will help you know God. If you you read the Psalms, you see people who know God, and oftentimes it fans the flame for you yourself to want to know God, and also the picture that is portrayed there, you will know God as a result. These, these folks who wrote the Psalms, David and Korah, the sons of Korah, and Asaph, and all these other folks who put the Psalms, what the book of Psalms together that we have, man, they knew God. And they wrote songs to God about who God is. And they said, God, you're amazing. You're awesome. You're great. So we see, God, your greatness. When we look at the stars, man, we see the greatness of God. We see that. And so they'd, they'd write a song about it. Oh, God, we see your creation. There's a mountain over there. Nobody that we know could put that there. You, God, are the God who put that. How amazing you are. How great you are. Oh, God, you are just and right and true in all of your ways. And so we see your justice. We see that you are right and true. God, we know that you are holy. God, we know that you are faithful to your word. And whatever you say is going to happen. God, we know that you, for your people, have steadfast love. We don't have steadfast love. Our love's pretty flimsy. But you, you have steadfast love. That's, that is reverence. And the way that they talk about God is very reverent. And you, you get around people who don't know God, but act like they know God. They talk about God. Oh God, you're the man upstairs. Like they, they talk about God in ways you're like, you don't know the God you're talking to. But there's, when you read the psalm, there's honesty in there. You ever been in one of those conversations where maybe it's husband and wife or two other people, that you're kind of the third wheel here, and you see them, and all of a sudden they're in conflict, and you're like, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to back up here, just so y'all go ahead and let me know when you're done. I don't want to watch. Sometimes I read the psalms, and I'm a little bit like that, like, oh, God, can you say that? Hmm. There's crazy stuff in there. Hey, God, you know, we're looking around and um, uh, we see this guy over here. And, uh, you know, actually, my prayer for him is that you would take his teeth and bash him in and shove him down his throat. Now, folks, that's in the Bible. They say that out loud to God. No filter, none. Some of, my guess is most of you did not pray that this week. If you did, 
I hope nobody, the recipient of that prayer, was not in the room, is what I'm saying, you know, like... But there's tremendous, there is tremendous honesty there. God, we see that there is stuff that is wrong in the world, and we're looking around going, this place is broken. You should do something about this. And here's the thing, and I don't want us to miss this. Honesty and reverence in the Psalms. Those people who know God have those things together. They are not one or the other. They are always together. It is precisely because they know God that they are reverent. And it is precisely because they know God that they are honest with Him. God, listen... I'm looking at you and I know that you are just and right in all of your ways. And I'm looking over there and them folks, they are scoundrels. You need to do something about them. I know you, so do something. God, I'm looking, I know that you are great and I am facing that mountain right there. And I'm telling you, I am going to die on the ascent unless you come through for me. And if I die, just stick me in the ground because I don't want the jackals to eat me. That's the kind of way they talk to God. God, I know that you're everywhere. I'm so grateful that you're everywhere and that you're faithful to your word. I'm standing over here in my little spot and I'm telling you, I can't see a soul and I'm shriveling because I'm so lonely. God, I... I know, I know that you are faithful and you have steadfast love for me and you're the healer, but I'm telling you, it feels like somebody just ran over my back with a lawnmower. That's the way they talk, Rip. I'm just telling you, that's the way they talk. Their reverence for God and their honesty with God went together. It's because they knew God that they were reverent before him. You listen to the way people interact with God, and you'll know if they know him by their reverence. And you listen to the way that people interact with God, and you will know that they know him by their honesty. And when those two things come together, man, you've you got somebody who really knows God. I, I put this single verse up here, but Psalm 9, verse 10. Um, those who know your name, those who know you, will put their trust in you for you, O oh Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So when God steps into your world and leaves his footprint on your life and, and everybody else is running one way and you go, no, 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 the, po- the point of my pursuit is actually that way right there. I am going to seek God. Here's what I promise. No matter what your situation is, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what your troubles, no matter what your resume, no matter what your bank account, no matter whatever, God will not forsake those who seek him. He won't. You can live in honest reverence with him. Thirdly, um, we live in obedience to his voice, and that voice is heard in his word. John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. Like, those things are consequentially mixed together. They hear from me, they know that it's me, and they follow me. They obey. We live in obedience to his voice that is heard in his word. And so I just want to say to you, God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us. These are the words of God that we get to live by and live in. And here's the crazy thing. Um, You think to yourself, well, doesn't that sound just like some expression of religion to just go out and do the thing? Listen, the more we obey him, 
The more we hear his voice and respond in obedience to his word, the more we know him. It works like that. The more we know him, the more we obey. But the more we obey, the more we hear his voice and obey, the more we come to know him. Some of you have stories of how you stepped out in obedience and God showed himself to you. You know God more intimately because of your obedience. My wife and I were talking on the back porch sometime this past week, sitting there talking and just rehearsing some of the things. And I said to her at some point, God, you know, babe, we have lived in the land. There have been moments where we have just been living in the land of miracles. We've seen God do amazing things. And some of you have stories just like that where God has been at work because you've stepped out, because you've obeyed. You know God differently than you did before. To know God means to live in obedience to his voice, his word. And third, fifth, excuse me, fourthly, um, we live as imitators of him. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of him. So, so wherever we see God doing things, we join him in that. We do what we see God doing. And I'll just uh, brief. Uh, illustration here. Um, for anybody who's ever had um, small kids, you, you know how this is going to go down. Uh, when your kid gets out of the bottle stage and you get into the Gerber stage, and they're, they're sitting there and you know you pop the top on whatever's going to stink up the kitchen for a few minutes and like you stir that bad boy up. Now every person who's ever done that, you know what's about to go down. You, you, you spoon out some, and then you go, you go to feet. And what happens? Two things. You want their mouth to open. That's what you're hoping will happen. What, what happens on the feeding side? What happens, all you parents? You open your mouth. You think, to, I mean, like if somebody, an alien thing, like if somebody were watching, they'd be like, why is that person opening his mouth? Because they're not feeding themselves. What is the deal? So you stir it up and you go in and people, you can choo-choo train that thing. You can airplane here. Come. I mean, you can do it however you want to. Inevitably, some sound typically, but inevitably the parent opens the mouth so that the toddler will open the mouth. Why? There's a physiological reason. God wired in our brains these things called mirror neurons. And from the earliest stages of life, it's how they know to make faces. You smile at them, they smile back. I mean, how many of you now have older kids who make the exact same face that you do? They learn that somewhere. They're mirror neurons. So we're opening our mouth so that they open their mouths. It's the way that we learn to um, relate to one another and sympathize with one another. It's, I mean, it's God built this into our lives. And here's the thing, spiritually speaking, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about mirror neurons. God, where are you at work? What do I see you doing? I want to do that. Tuesday happens. And wherever God is at work, Tuesday I just, I want to be at work with him doing the things that he's doing there. Whenever this goes down at the ball field or whatever situation, whatever environment in which you find yourself, just, I want to be an imitator of God. Those who know God, imitate him. That's what it means to know God. So back to our text here for just a minute. So our rhythm then, if we're going to pursue God, our rhythm. Look at verse, back at verse 7. Whatever gain I have, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, of all things, he says. Um, And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So here's the rhythm. It's it's two two steps here, rhythm. If we're going to be people who pursue God, first of all, there's got to be something that we give up. We give up our fake um, gains as well as our failures. We give up our fake gains. When we say fake gains, just back up to verse 4. Paul here is about to run off his resume, okay? If you were to pull up Paul on the LinkedIn, this, this is what it would be. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, my parents were the right kind of people. Like, I grew up in a Christian home. That's something like that, is what Paul would say. Of the people of Israel, of God's um, chosen people, of the tribe of Benjamin, you think to yourself, oh, hey, wait a minute, I, I read my Bible. The tribe of Benjamin, they're a little bitty small thing. But Saul, the first king, came. He's saying, I'm royal blood, people. Back up. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. His flex is getting strong here. As to um, righteousness under the law, blame. Oh, excuse me. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, look, you can't compare your resume to mine. I'm killing you, man. I'm killing you. But all of that stuff, fake gains. All of the things that I thought were benefits, they're not really all that beneficial at all. Give up, he says, our fake gains. But also, and this is, I just don't want to miss this. Whatever gain I had, he put that in air quotes, gain. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count how much? How much? Everything is loss. Everything. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of how much? How much? All things. And count them as rubbish. For, for some of you, it's not your resume that you need to give up. It's not your ego. It's not your, your retirement, your, your, the, the, um, the plaque that's on your door, or how successful your kids are. Like It's not those things that you would consider worldly success that you need to give up. You're pretty okay with saying, God, I, I'm open-handed with here. For some of you, it's not your successes that you need to give up. It's your failures. Because he didn't just suffer the loss of the good things, he suffered the loss of all things. Some of you think that your failures or failures of those people around you, that those things define you in some way. And I'm telling you, Jesus died for the sin and he rose again so that you don't have to be defined by your failures or somebody else's. Give up your fake gains and surrender your failures to him. If you're going to know God and pursue him, that is what needs to be true of you. But secondly... We don't just have to give some things up. We gain Christ. That's what he says at the end of verse um, 8 here. I count them as trash, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He goes on, that I may know him. We gain Christ and not just some of it. We gain all of him. He's Jesus the Lord. He's the great one. He's the risen one. He's the crucified one. He's the gentle one. He's the, uh, the one who comes to us tenderly and he is the one who speaks clearly. He, we get all of him. We gain Christ. And that rhythm, giving up what we think might possibly be valuable or what we think defines us, but gaining Christ. That's the rhythm in which we know God. I read a book when I was a teenager. It was one of those moments that I look back and God stuck his footprint um, down on me. Dan DeHaan wrote a book called The God You Can Know. And in it, he tells a story of when he was a student pastor. 
And he gathered the group together. He split them up into three. And he'd, he'd let them off in this well-to-do neighborhood. And they would go on what, they had two hours to go on what they called a bigger and better hunt. And the bigger and better hunt went like this. They would start with some small item, and then they would show up at your door, knock on the door, and go, excuse me, um, we're here from the church on a bigger and better hunt. We're trading you this, and do you have something bigger and better? And um, in, in the book, he tells the story. Um, and, and he sent out three groups, uh, one with a pack of gum, one with a pen, like a writing pen, and thirdly with a ball, the third one with a bar of soap. And so uh, they, they, two hours come by, and he honks the horn on the church van, and um, the, the first group rounds the corner, um, and I'm not making this up here, carrying a sofa. <laughs> Four teenagers just toting that thing down, and in the book, he says, it's a nice sofa. We put it in the student ministry area of our church. I'm like, that sounds pretty dang good to me. They traded from a pack of gum up to a sofa. The second group uh, shows up. They started with a pin. They started with a pin, and they showed up with a grill. So now not only do you have somewhere to sit, but you also have something to cook with. You can just have a barbecue or something. They're, they're just, imagine the scene, right? Like walking down the street, carrying a grill. Uh, 911, what's your emergency? Well, there's some teenagers with a sofa and a grill. I'm not sure what's happening, but that's, that's kind of how the third group um, started with a bar of soap and they showed up with a grandfather clock that worked, by the way, worked. In our lives, whatever we think might be valuable, and God puts his finger on that and goes, hey, trade me. Trade me. We think... I mean, all I've got is a pen. That's a pretty good deal. And all of a sudden, we get back something far greater. Here's, here's the danger. Is that some of us are at the stage of life where we think to ourselves, this is just about as good as it could be right here. I mean, I see God's goodness all over my life. I see it all over. And God comes along and goes, trade me. And you're like, God, I, I mean, I've got everything that you've given me. I mean, like, I, God goes, trade me. Can you imagine, like, if the group, I mean, like, I don't know what was one step below sofa. I mean, I don't know, chair or something. I don't know, like, whatever it was, one step below sofa. And they, they were like, oh, well, we've got this. It must be good enough. Um, and if they hadn't have gone and knocked on the last door and said, hey, we're on a bigger and better hunt, and we've got a what's-it here. Can you trade us something bigger and better? Oh, yeah, there's a sofa. Go get it. Can you imagine what they would have missed out on? Listen to me. Some of us are at the stage where we think that we are content. And God is simply inviting to say, trade me. You, your bank account may not grow, that's true. Your friend circle may not grow, that's true. But you will gain Christ. You will know him. And anything that you give up, listen, anything that you give up, you will gain something of surpassing worth. That's the phrase he uses in verse 7. Sur- surpassing, in verse 8, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I don't know what God may have said or where he may have put his finger this morning, but I want to invite you to ponder this. That he's inviting you to trade, and what we gain is him. So I'm going to pray. 
And I'm going to um, let us just have a few moments. Here. We've got a great old hymn to respond to about our trust in Jesus. But I just want to give you a moment to think and ask. Ask God, God, is there something with my name on it here? Like, did you wrap something up and put a bow on it and put it in my lap this morning? And if so, then you could just take a minute and work through that. Think about that. See what you need to do with that. Created by God to know Him. Father, over every person here and folks watching online, I I pray simply that um, wherever um, you've got your finger right now, however you're at work in their life, that you would give them the kind of faith that they'll need to make that trade. And God, you would reward them with yourself. They would walk out of here knowing you at a deeper level because of what transacts in this moment. Whatever it looks like. However you're at work. I offer this as well. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you're watching online and you're not. The best trade that you could ever make is your sin for his salvation. So today, put your trust in Jesus. Let him forgive you of your sin and give you new life. That's a conversation you want to have. You can use the response card there or um, respond online. Father, as we sing this song of trust, I I pray that it would be a reality for us, not not just a religious expression, but an experience, the experience of our lives. Our lives would be marked by trust. Oh, you who is worth it, of surpassing worth. Come and do what you want to do here as we respond. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.